If you're without a book and not into people watching, there's not a ton to look at in the subways. Well, except for ads for various types of legal services or dubious medical procedures. But that was not at all the case in the early 80s. By then, graffiti had become a defining characteristic of the subways. And not only the subways, but also New York. It was everywhere. And it was controversial. Some saw it as a cause of urban blight, and after a long campaign, the last graffiti train was removed from service in 1989. But for the kids consumed by painting trains at the time, it was an adventure. And it was art. When you would not only ride the train through, but like get off the train at 137th or 145th, you would smell spray paint like thick in the air, which was always like a great sign because you're like, oh, my friends, I'm about to go see, like the art studio is the lights are on. I'm Zephyr, the New York graffiti artist. I painted New York subways from 1977 till 1984. I grew up in a New York where it was it was everywhere. Anytime my dad put us in his little gray um, Buick station wagon and pointed the car pretty much anywhere, whether it was we're going to go see a Yankee game or we're going to go out to Long Island to the beach or whatever, as soon as the car, you know, got onto the Harlem River Drive or East River Drive, you know, over a bridge or whatever, suddenly it was like, whoa. And the only thing I understood about it was that kids were doing it. I just knew grown-ups weren't doing it. So it was all around me and, and, and I was isolated from like cracking of like how to get into it. But I did steal some little magic markers from my from art class, which I can see them like as clear as like if this was nineteen seventy one or two, like I can see them and smell them like as clear as day. You know, the smell was incredible because they used to put ether, believe it or not. They could get you so stoned because they used to put ether, use ether as a quick drying chemical. So so these things, I mean, you could just be like, woohoo, you know. So I was already sort of trying to do a little tag of like, I was so ignorant that I was like, my last name will be my tag. But, you know, you got to give me a break because I was like nine years old or I guess first I did it on my wall of my room and then I ventured into the fire stairs that like nobody used much in my building. I lived in an apartment building. And then I guess I got really brave and I and I wrote on the mailbox, like on the corner or something. You know, and then the playground, I was already like kind of too old for the playground in uh, Carl Schertz Park. But like when nobody was looking, I would like do one on like the side of the slide or something, right? That had, there was like a lot of wood and it was like painted like bright yellow with all this really shiny enamel. So it was crying out to be written on. And that's sort of how it started. And and you'd be inspired just like a little kid that plays, you know, Little League is inspired by, you know, the the best hitter on the Mets or something. You know, we, we'd be looking up to these people but they were not people they were simply a name and then we'd have to imagine something about their persona and at the same time there was a huge very frightening youth gang movement in new york city with gangs that would frankly 
just kind of you just see gangs like on the street i mean i know it sounds like well i saw the warriors like it was really like that like well the warriors it wasn't quite cute like that because they will fuck you up you know what i'm saying so when i saw graffiti i kind of made this connection this inaccurate connection because those guys were way too busy to be like you know subway graffiti guys but um the question of who was doing it was was very big to me and um what really helped me get into it was that there was an area if you've ever gone to see music at the rumsey playground on summer stage in the 70s that was a congregating place for kids who basically latchkey kids who wanted to play hooky a lot of recreational drug use skateboards frisbees and it turned out that the band shell attracted a certain amount of graffiti writers um for the most part they were a particular type of characters they were sort of hippie kid graffiti writers and so i was already that i just didn't have friends that were like that because i hadn't met them yet and it was it it was in that scene that sort of crucible that everything for me kicked in like one kid on his own will only do so much in terms of crazy shit usually but two kids or three that are like let's do this will totally go do some crazy shit so you know so that was the was that was the the in graffiti was sort of this thing we did that was like this other thing you did like that was not only not socially acceptable but it had no cachet. Like, I literally had girlfriends that were like, Andy, why do you always have, like, all that ink on your hands? And, like, why are your pants always so dirty? And I'd be like, oh, at school we were doing this silk screening. Like, you, like, literally, you didn't even tell your girlfriend because it was, like, that uncool a thing to do. But painting trains was, it was very addicting. You know, as soon as, as soon as you painted your last train, you were already like thinking about the next train you were gonna paint, and you were like, you know, planning it in in a, a myriad of of ways. You know, if you knew you were going to the yards on Friday night and you were like coming up empty with paint and you really wanted to go, you know, you were in those hardware stores after school on Friday you know trying to make it happen the term was invent that was the euphemism you had to invent your your supplies if you bought paint first of all nobody had the money like for to because the amount of paint that's involved could be like 20 cans there was also a code you became very adept i mean you like practice in the mirror we painted under City College, which is 137th and 145th. And that's where they would park trains. And uh, I, I don't know if it was because of budgetary constraints. I don't know if it was because of just attitude. But quite frankly, those trains would park on Friday night and they wouldn't pull out till Monday morning. And um, it was just like 
go in the tunnel, like just get off the train, walk into the tunnel, make sure there's no actual policeman standing there because then you would have a problem. But just go into the tunnel and like paint trains all weekend long. They'll be parked there. And because we painted in very dark conditions, seeing our pieces on Monday morning roll was like very almost like so ego gratifying that it was like almost like a sexually stimulating or something because sometimes when you paint these letters they become a bit of a rubik's cube sometimes where you can actually be like wait where should that go well if that arrow's there then that arrow maybe should be there and you actually are standing in front of it and it's very big so it's kind of you know, the scale, sometimes you can't stand back far at all because there's poles or there, there's a wall or there's actually another subway car right there. So, you know, you really can't see it so well. And you, you know that you're under a lot of pressure because even though you might feel, oh, this yard, I could stay in this yard for 10 hours. I could set up like a picnic table. You never know what would have happened if you had stayed an extra 15 minutes. You know, the biggest thing we feared was called raids, which was exactly what they sound like. We're like, it's a raid, which means like lots of cops coming at once. A very like, sometimes they tried to do crazy stuff like, you know, very dramatic, like a raid using a train. Like they'd actually commandeer a train. More traditionally, you know, they would just come into the tunnel with flashlights and, you know, blowing whistles, you know, we see you, hold it right there, or even threatening to shoot you, thinking like you'd freeze. I'll shoot if you don't stop or whatever. And uh, you're like, we're done for because they're going to have this whole phalanx of um, cops like waiting for us when we run out. And you'd go and they'd be like, none. And you'd be like, Really? But also there was a there was a trap door. There was a exit that went ha- that was in the halfway point and stairs, and you'd pop the hatch and it was spring loaded, and this hatch would like open up into you know on the sidewalk, and you'd like you literally like come out of this like little square thing, hole in the sidewalk. I was painting this name drive. D-R-I-V-E, which the only letters that were in Zephyr were the E and the R. And and if you notice, it's unfinished is because because a police man did actually walk right up on us. But the incredible thing about it was when he got down to us, he um, he just stood there and watched us. You know, and in hindsight... Sometimes I think that that guy was mesmerized by seeing something that very few people see, which is graffiti writers in action. So even a cop, even a transit cop in in 1980, you know, was very close to the graffiti epidemic or whatever you want to call it. But with all the graffiti that covered like every inch of every train inside and out in 1981, to actually see it being done, it was another thing, even for a transit cop. And I, I've always thought that the only explanation 
was that he thought there was something really amazing about watching he just land he kind of walked his way into something that you know you just don't get to see for a minute he just stopped being a cop and he just like was like wow this is like kind of amazing we had a an adventure but that's you know i suppose at the risk of sounding really overly romanticizing train painting like painting subways was you had the product that you were leaving behind but the adventure we knew that the that the backlash that the that the that people thought what we were doing was by and large reprehensible we weren't at all fooling ourselves that you know that somehow you know people were going to throw roses at us but um but we weren't grandiose about what we were doing. It was it was simply a rite of passage. Well, sure, you have to have big Peter Pan, uh, you know, that, that sensibility of like, you know, Peter Pan complex because you're doing something that's so, cha- you know, mark you're marking on the walls, which, you know, which is... People used to come to my loft. I was living in Atlanta with my daughter, and she was only two years old or something. And um, they'd kind of be a little taken aback as they'd come in, and she had drawn with the crayons all over the walls. And, uh, oh, I see you let your daughter uh, write on the walls. And I'd be like, I'd be like, you know, my hypocrisy can only go so far. You don't really think I can tell my daughter not to write on the wall 